Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Good morning. Well, if you're looking at the screen and you're thinking, is that some lame attempt to be hipster, Pastor Steve? If you're younger than me, that's what you're saying. If you're my age, you're saying, oh, you're doing a throwback 70s morning, huh? And if you're older than me, you're going, why does he always have to have that distracting stuff on the screen? I asked a couple people this week, as I was thinking about my message, it seemed like God, one of the things that God was saying was, simplify. Simplify. And so I asked some folks, you know, do you like it when you have PowerPoint or not? And the resounding answer in the crowd that I was talking to said, yeah. Sometimes I get lost in what's going on, I get distracted, and it's nice to be able to look up on the screen and remember what's been going on. So that's part of the motivation this morning. So it's done in a little different way. Um, I have the privilege this morning of sharing a unique scripture with you. And I want to invite you, maybe in a different way this morning, to uh, make yourself available. This is probably true every Sunday, but I believe that there are forces in our world that would try to keep you from hearing what God would like to say to you today. This is one of the most familiar texts in Scripture. It's one of those pieces of Scripture that almost everybody around has heard, or at least seen the John 3.16 somewhere. And it could be this morning that God has some revelation for you this morning. And whether it's your phone or your neighbor or your book or your pen and paper, somehow forces are going to get in there and use that stuff to keep you from hearing what God wants to say. So I'd give you a challenge. I need 45 minutes. It's not a lot. And I won't speak that entire time, but... I don't really think it's that important what comes out of here uh, because I'm not so arrogant to think it's something I'm going to say that's going to change you. But I think God needs the next 45 minutes and he wants to speak to you. And it could be that it may have nothing to do with this text that I'm talking about today or it could be (laughs) intricately can't even say the word, could be woven into the text that you're going to hear today. And just a simple thing as using your phone to look at your Bible app keeps you from catching it. I don't know if that's the case, but uh, everybody has to figure that out for yourself. And, you know, I can be distracted by the color of what's on the screen, you know, so it's pretty easy for me to be distracted, but um, so I challenge you, invest the next 45 minutes to look at with me at this little encounter that happens, like two guys sitting at a coffee shop, chatting, we're popping in on this conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. 
throughout the book of John, as what, what you heard from Pastor Bill last week, and you'll hear from Cliff in the weeks ahead, a lot of interesting encounters for Jesus with people. And you're going to get to hear those stories and uh, get, a, get a chance to be sort of the third person listening in. So I'm going to start and uh, read this to you. And again, I'm sort of in the simplify mode. And so because of that, it's not going to be on the screen. I just challenge you to listen. We're in chapter 3 at verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised by surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sounds, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus said. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How, then, will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. I got this cool little tool here. We spent about 45 minutes trying to get work this morning. We're going to see if the magic happens. Look at that. 
First verse, Jesus sitting with Nicodemus. They gathered together at night. Some concluded by the fact that they met at night that maybe Nicodemus was a little uncomfortable meeting together with Jesus. He didn't want to be seen as a part of Jesus' crowd. And so they met under the cloak of darkness. A lot of theologians think that's probably not true, that we're just kind of formulating that based on the fact that they, the Scripture says they met at night. That It could be that Nicodemus, being a leader, a Pharisee, devoted so much of his time to the study and the reading of the Scriptures and all the other things, special rules that they had, that they were involved in, that he hardly had any time in a given day And the only time or opportunity he had to connect with Jesus was at night. We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us clearly. All we know is they met and it was dark out. The interesting thing that you need to recognize here is in this initial meeting is that Nicodemus made this happen. It it appears as though Nicodemus went to Jesus. He initiated the conversation. It wasn't Jesus hunting out Nicodemus. On my slides up here this morning, you'll see the text that I'm going to be talking about in the bottom right-hand corner, in the yellow there, and in the brown in the middle there, a little bit of a theme of what's happening there. And then as we move along, up in the upper right-hand corner, in the darker brown, That'll be what was on the previous slide, so you can kind of catch up if you get distracted and lose your place. So they come together. And Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. No question there, right? Just a statement. Kind of a disclaimer on the behalf of Nicodemus. Let's see. I think that's bouncing around correctly. The interesting thing that you need to know here is that Jesus knows who he's talking to. He's talking to a Pharisee. What's a Pharisee? Well, he's a leader in the Jewish church that is a part of this group of guys, 71 guys, and they were the big dogs. They were the guys who knew everything. And Nicodemus was an older guy, so chances are Nicodemus is in that very select group of leaders of the leaders. And Jesus refers to him later on in this scripture as the leader of the Jewish people or the teacher of the Jewish people. So it could be he that, that he was actually the number one guy in the Sanhedrin. Scripture doesn't tell us that. But Jesus knows a bunch about Nicodemus and recognizes that Nicodemus knows Scripture, that he has studied and he has spent his life following the letter of the law. And he, had, he has given himself to what he believes to be what 
what is God's call on his life. And a part of that is these guys, these Pharisees, followed every letter of the law in Scripture, and then they oftentimes even made up additional rules and guidelines of things that they were supposed to do and not do in living. And so they lived a pretty strict life. No question asked, Jesus responds to Nicodemus' opening comment. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born again when they're old, Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter into a second time into their mother's womb to be born. It's clear that Jesus had a plan of what he felt that this leader of the Jews needed to know. Because before he could even ask a question, Jesus jumps right in and says, I need to change your way of thinking about your whole life, and this is going to mess you up. And it does. He's totally bad. What do you mean born again? And he's thinking in the natural and starts thinking about, how can I be born again? Well, you're born out of the womb, so you must have to go back into the womb. That's crazy. That can't happen. So this initial meeting happens, and even in just the first few seconds, this leader of leaders, this supposed smart guy of smart guys, is baffled by the opening phrases that come out of Jesus' mouth. So Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to think in a whole new way. So his next phrase, Jesus answers, very, tell you, very truly, I tell you, no one can come, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now here's where it gets cool. Again, Jesus knows who he's talking to. He knows this guy knows Scripture. So the guy's trying to figure out what this born again thing is. So Jesus talks to him about something he knows this leader of leaders is going to know. And it's being born of water and spirit. Well, where does that come from? Well, that comes from Ezekiel. And Nicodemus would know this because he's a studier of the word. So in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through about down through 37, I'm going to read you part of it. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit... Excuse me, I started a little too late. Let's go back to 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Nick and Ebus knew what he was referring to when he started talking about water and spirit. He's referring to this text in Ezekiel. He's trying to help Nicodemus understand that what God wants to do is transform him. 
help him to become this new man. But the truth is, old habits die hard. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. It's not that he's surprised, or maybe he was surprised, but Jesus is trying to help him see that, I mean, it's very clear in the text, you know Scripture. This shouldn't be surprising you. Again, you're a lead teacher here. You know what's going on. But this teacher gets a lesson. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Jesus is trying to make it clear here to Nicodemus what this whole thing is all about, that he has known and he has twisted it and turned it into something it wasn't supposed to be. They have gone a wrong direction, and his purpose with Nicodemus is to help Nicodemus as leader of the leaders to get things right. So he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Again, he goes to Scripture that he knows for certain now, this is stuff that Nicodemus knows, because this comes from Numbers. It's a part of the first five books of the Bible. It's the Torah. And if you are a leader of the leaders, you probably memorize the Torah. And so he knew this scripture. Well, what's this section of scripture all about? Well, if you take a look at Numbers 21, it's a unique time. The Israelites are in the desert, and they're frustrated having a difficult time. They've traveled from Mount Hora to along the route of the Red Sea. And they're complaining to Moses. And they say, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned. We spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed to the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is, who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake... He lived. Is that wacky or what? This is stuff Nicodemus knows. He knows that this is the way God chooses to operate sometimes. He does things that don't really make sense, but it accomplishes his purposes. He wanted the people to be obedient to him. And so he says to Moses, all I got to do, you put this snake on a stick... He makes this bronze snake, puts it on the head of the stick. You lift it up. All they have to do if they get bitten is look at the snake, and they'll have life. Crazy. But it was craziness that Nicodemus got. 
he knew Nicodemus well enough to recognize Nicodemus will understand this when I say, the Son of Man must be lifted up, just like the snake was lifted up in the wilderness. So this turns on a light bulb in Nicodemus' head. He's not asking any questions here. He doesn't interrupt Jesus and say, what do you mean, Moses and the snake? I don't know what you're talking about. He knew everything that he was talking about. The Ezekiel passage and the passage in Numbers. He knew it all. And so things are starting to click. He's starting to get it. Now, that was verses 9 and 10. And then there's a transition that happens. And in this transition, most theologians say that this is no longer a discussion between Nicodemus and Jesus, but this is a little synopsis from John. They're talking, actually they talk all the way down through Uh, verse 15, and then we jump into verse 16. Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus understand that this new way of thinking is allowing the Spirit to come into your life and make you into the person that God wants you to be, to release yourself, to be free, to be who God has called you to be. And then John lays out this plan of salvation in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Scripture you've heard many times. But significant because this is the part where Nicodemus is getting it. He's waking up to this new thought for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him that's a new way of thinking for Nicodemus God sent his son to save the finished work of Christ is the only way into the kingdom of God Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Nicodemus is falling out of his chair here. These guys have lived their whole lives following rules, trying to get themselves clean enough, perfect enough, right enough with God. So they, so they can be in right relationship with him. And Jesus is blowing that whole thing up right in their faces and saying, the only way to me is through my son Jesus. And all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is look up. Just look up at a snake and be healed. No, look up at the Son of Man on the cross and accept Him as your Savior. Allow Him to be Lord of your life. We want to complicate everything. It's hard for us to accept simple. 
we hear the story about the snake and it sounds just crazy. Well, for some people that have never said yes to Christ, when they hear the story or the salvation message, it sounds just as crazy as looking at the snake. Because they want to think, that's all there is to it? All I've got to do is trust in Jesus, ask him into my heart, and boom, I'm saved? Surely I've got to fix my life up, sort some things out, maybe dress a little better and change some of the ways I talk. And No. Scripture says, you say yes to me, boom, I'm there. I'm in your heart and life. And then I begin to change you and mold you into the person I've called you to be. You don't get cleaned up before you take a bath. That's what coming to Jesus is all about. Again, allow God to speak simply to you this morning. So what has this got for us? Well, obviously the most important application of this text is where are you in your relationship with God? Are you with Nicodemus here? Are you over here trying to live the the life that you think is what God wants you to do and be and you're trying to follow the rules and you show up to church on Sunday and teach Sunday school and you're doing all kinds of things and you're plugged in everywhere you can plug in and and you read the Bible when you get a chance but you just don't feel like you're close with God, like he's your friend and he cares about the details of your life. That he wants to talk to you every moment of every day about even the smallest details. And he knows all those details. He wants to have this intimate conversation with you all the time. So real that it motivates and drives and impacts every choice you make every moment of every day. It's a huge deal. It's a quality of life that can only be found in a relationship with Christ. And it changes everything about your world. It turned my world upside down 35 years ago. I've told you all this many times. Prior to 1980, I had never even heard the word youth and pastor in the same sentence. How could I ever dream that I'd spend 26 years serving as one? God wants to accomplish things in your life that you don't even know exist right now. And he just invites you into this relationship. And it's so simple and so easy, you want to discard it because it's so simple and so easy. It's got to be another step. It's got to be something else I've got to do. So that's the obvious message this morning, is where are you with, in your relationship with God? And you need to ask yourself that. Have you been trying to jump through hoops? Or have you been just pulling yourself up to the table, sitting down with a friend, and building a relationship? There's another unique little message here in this text. Nicodemus is only spoken about a few times in Scripture. This piece here, the most famous moment, and two other times. 
In John chapter 7, verses 50 and 51, the Pharisees are coming after Jesus, and they want to wipe him out. They want to kill him. And this couple of verses in John chapter 7, the Jewish leaders are wanting to get Jesus grabbed, and they send the guards out to grab him, and the guards come back and say, we couldn't grab him. No one speaks the way this man speaks. And so the guards get chewed out by the Pharisees. And they say, you mean you, he's deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Get the attitude there? This group of 71 thought they knew everything about everything. And everybody else was a bunch of idiots, especially when it came to theological stuff. But in verse 50, Nicodemus speaks up and he says, Who has gone to Jesus, who had gone to Jesus earlier? Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? And the Pharisees responded, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. They discount him because of the neighborhood he grew up in. And then again, in John chapter 19, the only other time we see Nicodemus, in verse 38, later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secret was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, a man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh, aloes, and about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. A couple things that are significant there. If you look back to the text in John chapter 3, beginning conversation that Nicodemus has with Jesus, he says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher. Why do you say we? It's just him. Who is he representing? Well, some theologians think he's representing Joseph of Arimathea, another Pharisee that these two guys were buddies, and he drew the short straw, Nicodemus, and had to go to Jesus and talk to him. So on, a, on Joseph's behalf, he comes to him and says, we knew you were a teacher who has come from God. But then the other interesting aspect there is that when people were sacrificed on the cross, they were not buried. They were usually thrown in a garbage heap. So it was significant that this happened. 
And most would agree, most theologians agree that the Holy Spirit's been at work in Nicodemus' life since that early conversation and helping him to come to a place of relationship with him. And when all the other disciples had, been, had left, had been run off, who's there? The crazy old Pharisee with the questions. A guy who was so far from being right with God, but yet he caught a picture of what this new relationship could be like. And he began to become who God wanted him to be. And he also figured out that, you know, you don't have to be the top dog, the leader of the leaders, be in the limelight, be out there pounding the pavement, proclaiming the gospel. You can work behind the scenes for God. And it appears as though that's what Nicodemus ended up doing. He was the behind-the-scenes guy that helped Joseph of Arimathea get Jesus' body prepared, facilitated the whole resurrection experience, having Jesus laid in the tomb. Maybe you feel sometimes like you said yes to Christ and you've invited him into your life and your picture in your mind of being that authentic Christian, the, guy, the person that God wants you to be, you need to be out there on the streets handing out tracts. You need to be saving people right and left, bringing people to church. You need to be on the church board. You need to be a Sunday school teacher. You need to be just that upfront, upfront guy. It's clear that God wants to work through lots of people in lots of different ways. And it could be that God's saying to you today, maybe it's time to consider to be, consider being someone that's more behind the scenes like Nicodemus. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. In Christ there is forgiveness and salvation. And these two verses, talking about this last little experience for Nicodemus, maybe the background is where you belong. God has done some interesting things in my life, and I've oftentimes wondered what he was up to, but I never wondered about who he was. I always knew he had a plan and was going to accomplish what he wanted. Sometimes I got a little messed up in my own head, trying to figure out what that was. And then when things didn't go the way I thought they ought to go, I thought maybe they were going the wrong way. God was just redirecting, trying to help me to be who he had called me to be. The main point, I believe, this morning is right there. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life is not a destination. Eternal life is a quality of life that begins the moment you say yes to Christ. It impacts every moment of every day here on the planet and every moment of every after, ever after for the rest of eternity. I asked Lisa and 
Julie to help me a little bit here in the end. They're going to come and lead us in a song. And again, I asked just the two of them because I was trying to simplify. I've taken about 45 minutes. I've got about four left. You'll still get out way ahead of Cliff. Come on. <laughs> but don't let this moment slip by. Two things. Where are you in your relationship with God? Are you at the table having coffee with him every day? Or Diet Coke? Or are you someplace that you're not sure you're right where you need to be? Any place other than here, you're not sure. You can be sure. You can be sure. You can know you're in right relationship with God this morning, and all you have to do is look up. Recognize His Son, Jesus Christ, as atonement, payment for your sin. Admit that you're a sinner. Ask for forgiveness, and He'll come into your life. Whether you're 15, 6, or 75, It makes no difference. He wants all of us to have assurance that you know you're in right relationship with him. You can pray right there in your seat. You can come and kneel here at the altar. What's important is that you do what you believe God's prompting you to do today. And then if you are here, having coffee with Jesus every day. I hear some people that, as I listen to their voice, I feel like they never feel like they're living up to what Jesus wants to do in their lives. They're always talking about things they wish they would be doing or wish they could do or uh, thinking they should be doing more and this or that. You know, I don't see God working that way in my life. I think God wants me to be content. Wants me to know that he loves me and he's using me to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in my life. And I should have joy in that. Celebrate that every day. Be excited about the next day and what God wants to do. So if you don't have that full joy, I'd invite you to pray. Be reminded that God didn't add anything else to that scripture that was up there. He just said, he came to save, and he loves you. All you have to do is look up. Trust him with everything else. And you can experience the quality of life that is like no other, today and for the rest of eternity. I invite you to stand if you would. We're going to sing. If you'd like to come and kneel here and pray, if you'd like to kneel right where you're, where you're seated, whatever you need to do to be alone with God and respond, if he's been speaking to your heart, I'd invite you to do that.